Hey folks, Zach Osterman here. I'm Insider Indianapolis Star. This is uh, Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, by the time you listen to this, there's a decent chance it will be or will have already been Thanksgiving. Uh, it's November 23rd, 2022. So we are Thanksgiving Eve. And across from me in the Zoom room is Wilson Moore. Wilson, this is your first Mind Your Banners, is it not? It is. Yeah. Excited to uh, make my debut here. I, I I don't ever expect anyone to be excited to be on this podcast, but I appreciate the enthusiasm nonetheless. Um, let's start with the bucket game, and then and then we'll transition kind of into basketball. We are talking before uh, the game against Little Rock, so anything we say here, if if Little Rock springs some big upset, then sorry, uh, but we're not going to podcast on Thanksgiving, and for that we are not sorry. Um, bucket game first. I think it's, I mean, you were in uh, East Lansing last weekend. You've been around this team a little bit. I think it's fair to say there is a, a dramatic change in this team's mood. And, you know, guys were kind of trying to be resolute in the past and say, we're not giving up, we're not quitting, whatever. But there's just a difference when they get a win. And, and maybe when they get a win the way they got that, when they had to fight for it, they had to come back for it, they kind of had to show that they had not disengaged with the season, that that they were still invested and still willing to fight. Um, rather than maybe just stumbling into Michigan State having a terrible day and winning, you know, 28 to 13 or something. The fact that they kind of had to prove that they are still very much scrapping, even through the seven-game losing streak, even through knowing that in all likelihood they're not going to a bowl game. Um, I think that, that that has really raised the morale of this group tangibly. Yeah, absolutely. And it was something I wrote about in East Lansing, which, you know, after the game, you know, you got the place now where we never give up. We're a group of fighters. And that's that's fine, but that's all pretty typical player speak. But I think it rang a little more true that night and just that we've seen this team not do that a lot this year. We haven't we hadn't seen that resiliency from this IU team until East Lansing. We had seen them fall behind, admittedly, to very talented opponents and stay behind. So this is the first time we had seen them make a comeback like that. We had seen that level of resiliency and yeah you can I think you can feel the difference around this team now you know only one game left I think it's an even you know if, if, if we're kind of talking about what may or may not be valuable essentially to Indiana long term I, I I think in in some ways the more instructive thing is kind of to compare it to where Indiana was last season um and and what I mean by that is kind of this the same time of year Indiana's November last year um they scored i'm just i'm literally staring at the schedule right now um they scored 31 points in four games they were uh, they they lost 29 to 7 to michigan 38 to 3 to rutgers 35 to 14 to indy uh, to minnesota and then 44 to 7 to purdue now you know winning last saturday doesn't guarantee winning this saturday although i did go on record with uh, the boys at boiled sports and say i think indiana is going to win the game um but you know, I think there's been so much of from the three and zero start to the seven game losing streak to even last weekend for IU fans and, and probably internally somewhat as well. Sort of this question of like, if if Indiana can't make a bowl game, can they at least prove that like last year was a, a blip? That last year wasn't just sort of this permanent regression back to you know Indiana's mean as one of the the worst teams in the conference. And I do think some of this is ultimately going to be you know, contextualized by what happened Saturday that for a variety of reasons. It's, it's, you know, I think there's a big difference in people's minds between four wins and five wins. There's a big difference between winning this platoon and winning the bucket. You know, your in-state rivalry is your biggest one, et cetera. Um, 
But if you juxtapose, and I know you weren't here for last season, but if you juxtapose where Indiana was last year, where so many of those games just kind of felt like forced marshes, like like you could just tell there wasn't any life left in, in Indiana. To come back this year and, and to come back in the way that they did, obviously, on um, on Saturday in East Lansing, it's it's not just sort of juxtaposing against, you know, what what Indiana has done this year, but almost kind of the last two years. And in particular, I think because we had fairly, I think, asked, you've lost the last, you know, they've lost the last two games, 101 to 28 combined scores. Where are they? And Penn State's a really good team. Ohio State's an even better team. There's no shame for Indiana in a season like this and losing those games. But to to kind of find that fight and find that medal a little bit again, um, really does just feel like it's it's not just sort of a okay we're not going to just put up with a seven game losing streak this year it's it's also whether it's intended or not whether anyone perceives it or not it does feel like sort of a way of also saying and we're not the same team that we were a year ago even if we don't go to a bowl game even if we don't win the bucket game there's still a level of competitive fire in this group that we lost last year and we've gotten back And I think a big part of that, and when you say that this isn't the same team, is Dexter Williams and it's and the level of optimism, you know, going into the offseason will be largely dependent on how he play on how he plays on Saturday. You know, we've seen what he adds to the offense without um, you know, that Connor Bazelak didn't, the way he can run, the way he you asked uh, Tom about this the, the other day, the way his ability to take off forces the defense on those kind of zone reads forces them to stay home when he can take off into the other gap. And he's been, he's been the difference, you know, I think in these last two games, he's been, he's been what's different in the IU offense and how he plays, you know, I think that will go a lot toward the kind of vibe of this team going into the off season. If they feel, if it feels like they have something there at quarterback. He will be as you know, as we just kind of heard. Um, the starting quarterback for this came out like a surprise, and you but just just to kind of confirm it to people. Um, it is gonna be, I mean, I think one of the biggest, and, and we can talk about the matchup here before we pivot to to uh to, to basketball. One of the biggest questions I think in this in this matchup is how Purdue adjusts. Um, Dexter Williams obviously has arm talent. You can see it. I mean, he had a throw against Penn State that was like flat-footed with a defender in his face, and it was still 55 yards. Um, and it's not saying Indiana doesn't have guys that can throw the ball hard, but I don't think anybody's got the you know the strength that he does, the ease of strength that he does. On the other hand, listen, you know, across three games, he's 12 of 37. That's 32.4% completion rate for 179 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. He's clearly still raw as a passer. And, and you know, when you think about his journey, you you do remember that fall camp was his first spring or fall season that wasn't broken up by something. He lost his first spring to COVID. He tore his ACL in his second spring. He was still rehabbing it in his, in his third spring. He was obviously also rehabbing it last fall. I don't think he was really doing much of anything in, in fall camp last fall. So this fall camp, which, you know, those are the times when quarterbacks get better in college because there's just so much raw sort of unfiltered work they can get in. That was his first spring or fall season, spring or fall camp that, that wasn't, you know, kind of butchered up by something. And I think the question is, how does Purdue adjust? And how does Purdue adjust to Dexter Williams? 
how does, I guess maybe a little bit too, how does Indiana adjust to what it's seen from him through three weeks, maybe put him in some better passing situations? And how does Purdue adjust to the wider sort of question of um, Indiana's offense, seeing what they saw last se- last week, 284 sack-adjusted rushing yards, far and away better than anything we've seen from Indiana this season. I mean, just frankly, just play calling, scheme. I recognize it's all in the same formations and things, and it's the same coordinator, but it's just a, you know, stylistically a completely different offense um, in no small part because Dexter Williams is mobile. How does Purdue adjust? Because, you know, the the the, the biggest matchup on paper here is Purdue's maybe the most prolific passing team in the conference, and Indiana's got the worst pass defense in the conference. You've got to find ways to balance that out. And one of them, I think, is going to be basically can you run the ball as well as you did last week if you're Indiana – to put yourself in some positions where you can attack a Purdue pass defense that's not statistically as bad as yours, but still isn't very good. Yeah, and we've seen that ability to to run the ball. Obviously, we've been over Williams, but Sean Shivers was very good against um, against Michigan State. Josh Henderson had, um, got some carries, and J- uh, Jalen Lucas um, has just over the past couple of weeks has really shown what he can do in open field. So yeah, I, th- I think you know the question is, you know, like you said, Dexter's raw passing ability can they do enough to set him up in a good position i think the other thing to take away from last week and i've said this when people have asked me about it this week is you know just the it's it's a cliche but it it does ring true the idea of winning plays you know if, if you'd covered up the final score obviously it would have been a lot easier to explain to somebody that michigan state won the game based on the box score you know less the final score than indiana but then if you started to say, well, Indiana made was was a lot better on special teams. They scored a special teams touchdown. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Indiana won the, the turnover battle in the game. Indiana, you know, had arguably more impactful explosive plays. Indiana got the fourth down stops, you know, the, those kinds of things. Then suddenly, you know, I think people will pull back to the middle of, well, Michigan State had a lot of yards and that's good for them. But yards don't win games. What wins games is those moments when you you seize on an advantage or you don't. Like, for example, I, I, I for the life of me, I don't know why Mel Tucker was still cooking, uh, cooking. Uh, yeah, I'm about to brine a turkey. You can tell where my head's at. Um, why he was still kicking to Jalen Lucas after Lucas almost turned the corner on them a couple times. Like at some point, just kick it out of bounds and take it to the 35 if you have to. But don't keep putting it in the hands of the, the, the guy that is clearly about to hurt you. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, Purdue is probably going to be feeling more pressure in this game, especially if Iowa loses on Friday. I, I think they're favored, but crazier things have happened. The Big Ten West is terrible this year. Um, you know, whether or not Purdue comes in with a chance to go to Indianapolis, Purdue, the pressure will be on Purdue. They'll be the favorite. They'll be the team looking for, I think they're like, it's, it's their first First time with consecutive eight win seasons in like 25 years. Um, you know, it, it will be very much kind of the the narrative of, well, if Indiana loses, oh, well, you know, that was the direction their season was headed. Whereas if they win, they'll have gotten one over on their rival. Indiana, as much as one can be in a rivalry game, is playing with house money here. Purdue is not. Um, can Indiana keep making those winning plays and, you know, amplify any nerves, any stress, any pressure that Purdue is feeling, because it's worth saying, again, Indiana's worse in some of these areas, but Purdue's been one of the most turnover-prone teams in the league this season. Aiden O'Connell has 11 interceptions. That's most among qualified passers. If if you go by uh, 
collegefootballstats.com. If you look at things like sacks allowed, Purdue's kind of about middle. They've allowed 17. That's sixth. The difference between them and Northwestern and eighth is two sacks. So it's it's they've been neither sort of stingy nor bad, but they may have Devin Mockaby. They may not. They won't have Gus Hartwig, their starting center. Um, you know, this is going to have to be a game where I, 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 you know, whatever the result on Saturday, I would be surprised if Indiana outgains Purdue. It's going to have to be a game where you make more of the plays and more of the opportunities, essentially, like you did last weekend if you're Indiana, if you're going to win. Yeah, and I think that's a good point about Purdue having more pressure. This is far from an analytical reasoning, but I feel like it plays into IU's favor just how weird the Big Ten West is this year. Just we have seen so many times just anything can happen in the West. Last week's game being a great example, weird things happen. In the this Big, is in this the is Ten also West. the most vibes-based rivalry in the Big Ten. Like, like, and I know you're fairly new to it, but the old Oaken Bucket, it's not quite as vibes based as the Egg Bowl. Like, you know, in the way that Anakin Skywalker was was made by the force, the Egg Bowl was made by the vibes. The old Oaken Bucket is not quite like that, but it can go that way in, in a real hurry. Like it can get it, stuff can get weird fast. And if you've got a team that produced better than Indiana this year, but they are by no means perfect. And they're feeling some pressure again, especially I think, especially if Iowa loses on Friday, um, then yeah, then I think you can ratchet it up on them pretty quick. Absolutely. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, oh, no, that was no that uh, that that added to what I was saying. Yeah, because you know this, this is my first bucket game. Yeah, the, things are weird. <laughs> They, and they can trust me. They can they can get so. Um, I think the the other piece of this is is that pass defense. Indiana. It's been hard to kind of figure out because when you looked at sort of reasons for optimism about Indiana ahead of the season, one of them was the number of experienced players that had elected to opt back in for one more year, whether it was the COVID year, whether it was maybe a guy like Taiwan Mullen who could have explored an NFL future but came back for another year. And a lot of those guys were in the secondary. Jalen Williams, Mullen, uh, Devon Matthews, Brian Fitzgerald. You felt like that should be a strength. And pass defense isn't just purely about your secondary. It isn't just purely about your defensive backs. Um, but I think even they would admit they've not been up to the standard they would have expected from themselves going into this season. Again, on the other hand, Aiden O'Connell can throw the odd interception. His completion percentage is... Uh, you know, a, a little bit low. As I said, he's um, he's first in the conference in yards per game, and I think he's second in touchdown passes with twenty. And and this is this always happens where Ohio State's quarterback is head and shoulders above almost everybody. You know, everybody else in almost everything. You know, yards per attempt and rating and and touchdowns and picks. Um, but O'Connell is first in the conference with eleven interceptions among qualified passers. His completion rate is is 63.8%. That's fifth among qualified passers. So it's good, but it's not elite. You know, it's it's not a situation like what you have with, you know, some of your top passers, you know, Tommy DeVito at 70%, Talia Tagovailoa at almost 69%, et cetera. Um, you can get to Purdue. And if there's if there's one imbalance that needs redressing in this matchup, at least as we play it out on paper, it's going to be. Can you make some plays against that Purdue 
pass offense because they're probably going to hurt you. They're probably going to get some yards on you. I, I don't, again, I don't see a world where Aiden O'Connell finishes with 156 yards passing or anything like that. But can you make enough of those plays, get him under some pressure, get him in some in some stressful situations, and then try to capitalize on that um, to, again, just sort of like balance the scales a little bit when you're very statistically poor on past events? Yeah, and that's what they did against Michigan State. Going back to your point about making winning plays, they got one interception. It was uh, Jonathan Haynes, a tip ball from Fitzgerald, and it led to three points. It set him up in – I think inside the 20 and ended with a field goal, which they needed for it to go into overtime and ultimately win the game. I won't ask for predictions. I mean, I know I said, I think Indiana win. I cannot begin to tell you what the final score is. I, in general, I just hate having to make predictions. So I won't ask you for them. Um, but I think it is, I think it's going to be an interesting game. And I, I would be a little surprised if it's not a game because I, I do think there is a real confidence around Indiana this week. Um, you can just sort of sense not just that they think one win has solved all their problems, but that they do sort of feel like, Hey, we've got our feet back under us. We, you know, we, we got the, the taste back in our mouths. We proved to ourselves this season wasn't just completely off the, off the track. And now let's take, you know, fuller advantage of it. Um, let's pivot to basketball maybe for uh, about 15 minutes or so. Indiana four and oh, they won both games last weekend. I know you were at Miami. You weren't at Xavier. Um, but I, I, the Xavier game is is the biggest talking point, an important win for Indiana. Um, I think a win that you know, based on early returns with Xavier, is going to stand up across the course of this season. Obviously, we'll see kind of how they navigate the the rest of of their non conference. Um, they've actually moved up in Ken Palm since they lost to Indiana without playing a game. They play their first game in one of those Nike Invitationals on uh, on Thursday out in Portland. Um, this felt like, I mean, it was an imperfect performance from Indiana in a lot of ways. Only three guys scored more than seven points. Indiana was only four of 12 from behind the arc. They only shot about 65% on free throws. Um, they they were not nearly up to their normal standard defensively, allowing 1.11 points per possession uh, to Xavier defensively. But there's an old, uh, there's an old, cliche Kelvin Sampson used to to repeat that I do very often, which is you don't play February basketball in November. Everybody that has genuine sort of ambitions for championships, tournament runs, whatever, should not look like the finished article in November. Indiana didn't, and they still found a way to win the kind of road game that by almost any measure in the non-conference, they have not won very much in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Yeah, and I think that was just so big for oh morale and confidence going into uh North Carolina in about in about a week you know even you know assuming they take care of business against Little Rock and Jackson and Jackson State that's I feel like there's a huge difference between seven and0 with your one loss coming against the one major team you played and eight no big road win facing a top five team in team in the country. I just, it felt like a win that very much legitimized uh, IU early in the season, showed they can beat good teams, go on the road, and I think that will be big for the rest of the non-conference season. I think you've, you've got something with this team. I mean, that you know, they didn't get their first non-conference – or they didn't get their first road win of any kind. They did not win a game on the road in the non-conference last year. 
Um, in fact, I'm to be honest with you, I'm not sure the last time they won a game on the road in the non-conference. I mean, a, a true non-conference road game, uh, particularly in front of fans. I know they only have three Ken Palm top 50 wins on the road, period, in the last five non-COVID seasons, if you remove the season where they were playing, you know, without fans. Um, they've not, and I'll repeat the stat, I think it was on our last podcast, but they have not, they have not won a non-conference game against on the away from home, true road game against an opponent that finished in the Ken, finished the season in the Ken Palm top 40 since 2001. And obviously we'll see where uh, Xavier sits right now. They're 34th. Um, I actually think that Indiana's last non-conference road win would have been NC state, like true road would have been NC state in 2011 when they uh, when they went on the road in the ACC Big Ten Challenge and and you know funnily enough I mean that that was a game and I I know you, I know you certainly weren't around for that season that was a game that team kind of I think needed to win to to sort of prove to itself a little bit of what you talked about like they trailed for a lot of that game they kind of turned it around the last eight or nine minutes and then two weeks later a week and a half later they beat Kentucky but it was almost like they needed to beat NC State to to feel themselves win that sort of game in that sort of environment. And then they turn around and beat Kentucky. They beat Notre Dame on a neutral floor. Uh, and they and they went on that season to, to win 27 games and go to the Sweet 16. This team is, is you know, I think in, in whether it's, whether anybody will say it out loud, you know, this team wants slash maybe to some extent needs to sort of prove that it's better than last year. And one of the things last year's team really struggled to do was went on the road in any quality setting. They only won three games on the road all year. That was Nebraska, uh, Minnesota, and Maryland, teams that finished, I think, 10th, 13th, and 14th in the Big Ten. None of those were quality road wins of any kind. Already, you've got a road, a, a, a road game here that unless Xavier just tanks, is probably going to stay a quad one win for you, you know, pretty much all year. You get it at the first time of asking, and suddenly – you know, if, if you get to a situation where you can beat North Carolina at home on uh, a week from today, oh gosh, season goes faster than you think. Um, then, you know, there's an extent to which like you've already gotten everything out of your non-conference that you need. You can afford to lose competitively to Arizona and Kansas, and you can still look at the non-conference and say a couple quality wins there, one of them on the road, tested ourselves. You know, didn't take the path of least resistance. The committee can't complain about that. Um, you know, just functionally, like like North Carolina winning these next three games would would almost see, as long as you didn't lose the the other two guarantee games you got before Christmas, would almost see the non conference season sort of like you know the the the, the baseline. What is the word I'm looking for? The the sort of baseline best case scenario or, or baseline. Um, optimist scenario already met. And then you're, again, you're kind of playing with house money with the Arizona and Kansas games. Um, but I just think that there is, you know, this team to some extent anyway, just needed to see itself, you know, be different, look different, finish that game, you know, find a way to hold off a couple of those second half Xavier runs. Um, I mean, it was, you know, I know people were were stressing about the free throw shooting, and I get that. I totally understand. I think it's it's worth pointing out that as a team, Indiana's shooting 72% from the line right now over the course of the first four games. That's not very bad at all. But like Sean Miller, who I think Indiana fans were kind of curious what he'd say about Indiana because of all the stuff with Archie. 
um, was actually pretty effusive in his praise post game. And, and he said, you know, if you told me we were going to get 40 paint points and only have 12 turnovers and, you know, we were going to get five guys in double figures and a couple other things, I would, I would have said, I think we'll win the game. If you just, if you'd handed me that box score without the final score, I'd say, I think we're going to win the game. Um, and he just said, it's a credit to Indiana that we didn't essentially. And I think there's just a lot of value. You're allowed to be imperfect at this time of year, but there's a lot of value for Indiana in the way you won that game. Just feeling like, Hey, this is different than it was a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, uh, you, uh, you were there Sunday for the Miami game. Um, not a lot, I don't think, to to take out of that. They they look tired, which was hardly surprising. Um, but I think you, you know, one thing that you you touched on kind of through uh post-game press conferences and things that I think is is also something to keep in mind with this team is you got some guys here that are are in bigger roles, or obviously in, in the case of a freshman, are, are just in roles for the first time period that there's going to be times in games like this when you just need a Jalen Hutchifino to kind of shoot through it and just sort of play through it. And I think, you know, I mean, like you look at Hutchifino's first four games, um, you know, he's only scored in, in double figures once, which was actually that Miami game. It's worth pointing out he's had at least five rebounds in three of his other three of his four games this season. His lowest assist total was also his highest scoring game in the in, in Indiana's first three. Or yeah, first three games, he scored 18 points and registered 16 assists. And so um, and, and 12 rebounds, which is kind of my way of saying he hasn't let the shooting struggles affect other parts of his game. Um, but this is a time of year, especially when you've got not just the effectiveness of a Trace Jackson Davis, but the efficiency of a Trace Jackson Davis, you know, at the moment he's shooting almost 76% from the floor, um, you know, and he's rebounding the ball at a remarkable rate, especially at the, at the offensive end, you can afford in some of these games where, you know, you're probably going to win regardless to just tell a Jalen Hood Shafino or, you know, maybe a, a Tamar Bates or, or, you know, I mean, Miller cop with the Xavier game where he missed a bunch of threes early on, but then hits the one that matters in the corner at the end. You can tell those guys, just just keep shooting through it. Just keep playing through it. This is the time of year to figure out what works and what doesn't. You know, we need you at your best in February and March, not November and December. So don't be afraid to fail a little bit if it's going to help you get better moving forward. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting just kind of subplot to this whole team is the amount that they are relying on freshmen with Hood Shafino, as you mentioned, also Malik Renew coming off the bench has a pretty major role. And it'll be interesting seeing them kind of progress through all these kind of firsts in their college career. They're doing so much that they haven't done yet in in their lives, really. And um, that Indiana is able to rely on them so much that Mike Woodson's willing to rely on them says something about how just talented they are, but also just what this team will look like you know could be a little different like you said in february march than it is now because they're young they're gonna keep developing and we don't know necessarily what they'll figure out what they'll be able to do by the time march comes around 
Yeah, I think, I mean, and that goes back a little bit to something Wilson's very fond of saying, which is basically his attitude with his players is I'm going to trust you until you prove I can't anymore. Um, and I mean, you see, for example, Malik Renew plays a lot of the, the the big minutes of that second half at Xavier with four fouls. And Woodson, you know, said rightly afterward, well, I had I had Ray Thompson on the bench. So the break glass in case of emergency, you know, option was was perfectly fine, too. But it's still kind of just this idea of, you know, he's going to put faith in, in those those young players. And um, in the same way that, you know, a year ago. Around this time, if you look back at his numbers, Xavier Johnson was struggling in Indiana. He had some, you know, kind of early in the season, some some pretty uh, inefficient performances. You know, I think I think back in particular to a, a four of 16 shooting game uh, at Wisconsin, a game Indiana lost very close. They lost by five and they led for a lot of that game. They led by like 22 at one point and eventually lost the game. He was actually booed in the uh, in the Notre Dame win in uh, in Indianapolis at what was then Bank, still Bankers Life Fieldhouse. But Woodson kept persisting with him. Woodson just kept playing, you know, um, you know, kept trusting him, kept kept pushing him. And by the end of the season, he was playing as well as any point guard in the Big Ten. And I think what what you get at there a little bit with Jalen Huchifino is I'm not saying that they'll follow the exact same trajectory. He's it's a different player on a different team. But it's sort of, again, this idea of if you empower your players, if you give them that faith and that trust, that gives them confidence. And at some point, the confidence and the skills will meet. And I think that's particularly important in a way for a freshman, because to your point, you know, this is all new for them. A, a player like a player like Xavier Johnson may at least be able to reach back to his time at Pitt and say, no, I know I can do this and I know I can do this. And, and you know, given time, I can find my level. A player like Jalen Huchifino, no matter how talented he is, no matter how confident he is, he's not going to have a firm idea of what his level is in college yet. He's played four games plus two exhibitions. I think what you get at there is you keep giving him that confidence. At some point, the skills will meet it. Um, I guess, is, is there anything more to take out of that Miami game? I mean, Trace Jackson Davis played well. Again, it was kind of the classic. They put all their energy into the Friday night game. Um, which they were perfectly justified in doing, and they still came out and dominated Miami after a slow start. Was there anything else that that jumped out to you in that game? Um, Jackson Davis, obviously, as you mentioned, just it's really stood out to me how unguardable he's been in this non-conference season. You know, until they face someone with you know someone like him, you know, an, an athletic big who can move well in the post and kind of step out. Um, no one's really been been able to stop him. I think uh, uh, Miller Cop hit two big threes. I think if he's, you know, he's. I think he's the most kind of pure shooter on this team. And if he's, you know, doing what he's good at, which is you know, stay, you know, staying on the wings, the corners, knocking down threes. I think that adds a whole just dimension to this uh, to this offense that isn't present otherwise like when he's cold, uh, like against Xavier. I thought that was a big thing that stood out, just what he can bring and the way that affects everyone else and opens up the floor for everyone else on this team. Oh, you're, uh, you're muted, Zach. I thought I'd hit the mute button. I, I, I bailed out of it before I was sure I was I was unmuted again. Cop's an interesting one for me. And listen, these are these are four-game sample sizes. So I recognize, you know, things will change and, and even out a little bit. 
he's playing a smaller percentage of minutes than he did last year. Um, but he's actually using more possessions and taking a higher percentage of his team shots. And it's particularly interesting to me. He is nine of 17 from three. That's 53, almost 53% from three. Um, that number will go down. I don't expect him to shoot 53% across the course of the whole season, but he's also on pace to shoot about 45 more threes period. And you know, I, I, I know you haven't been on these podcasts, but I bang this drum that like people need, people don't maybe appreciate that the difference between 33% and 36% three point shooting as a team is, is typically about 20 to 24 three point attempts. Um, or it's excuse me, made three pointers. You're not talking about a lot. You're, you're talking about kind of, you know, maybe a little bit less than one more per game um, to get you from being a team that looks bad shooting the three to a team that at least looks functional shooting the three. And a player like Cop, I think it's important for that. It's interesting to me. He does not have uh, a rebound in any of either of Indiana's last two games. And he's only got one in Indiana's last three. On the other hand, he's clearly taking more threes than he was a year ago. And it's almost like there is sort of this purposeful, don't crash the boards. You need to be the one leaking out in transition so that when we skip the pass ahead, you're already finding a shooting window somewhere. And then when you've got, you know, maybe a little bit better passing on this team, because Jalen Huchifino's here and, and Xavier Johnson's had another year to work with his teammates and all that kind of stuff. You know, suddenly you're getting a guy that's that's not just making more threes, but taking more threes. And I think that, you know, I don't think we expected this to be a team that um, just absolutely sort of, you know, went night and day from being bad at three-point shooting to great at three-point shooting. But when you ask, where can you make improvements that are more than just marginal? Where can you make the incremental gains? One of them is not just getting Miller Cop maybe more accurate, but getting him to shoot a few more threes. He shot 108 last year. That's, I mean, that's that's more than he shot at Northwestern the year before, but that was only that was over only 23 games. That was the COVID season. He shot 97 in 23 games two two years ago, and only 108 in 35 games last year. He shot 164 in the in the the last season he played at North full normal ish season he played at Northwestern. 31 games he shot 164. You want to get him back to where he's comfortable shooting at that kind of volume. And if he's going to make even, let's say, 37% of his threes at that volume of shooting, that's not an enormous change in his accuracy, but it is a pretty big change in his output. And suddenly you're talking about a guy that can affect the game from, from uh, you know, kind of the behind the arc in a way that not a lot of Indiana players have been able to do the last few years. Um, where will you be this week? Will I be? I will be. Um, I'll be in Bloomington uh, tonight. I didn't want to say we were all going to be there, um, but I know Tyler's here, so you'll be here. We've got basketball games Wednesday and Friday, the bucket game on Saturday. I think I'll be at the soccer game Sunday night. Um, a lot. Uh, certainly, the official accounts made a lot of Indiana basically going perfect last weekend in all sports it was playing. They, I imagine uh, Scott Dolson and company will be looking for a, a similar result here across the next few days. 
Uh, we'll also have somebody out at, at women's basketball as well, or excuse me, no, they'll be in Vegas. So we won't have anybody at women's basketball. Um, we'd love to be at, in Vegas, um, but we will be in, in, in brisk Bloomington, brisk and breezy Bloomington instead for Wilson, uh, for Wilson Moore. I'm Zach Osterman. Uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. If you haven't already, we will be back early next week to wrap up everything that's about to happen uh, here on this holiday weekend and get you ready for North Carolina. This has been Mind Your Banners. Uh, Thank you so much for listening.